Father, we come to you now in Jesus' name. Lord, we need you. God, help us to be able to get to receive your word this morning. And Lord, help us uh, with everything that we're seeing. Lord, we're asking that you would do what only you can do to meet us where we're at, to take your word, to apply it to our lives. We don't wanna just know things. We wanna be transformed. And so, Lord, we're trusting you for that this morning. I pray that you'd take the weakness of my flesh and my stumbling lips and that you'd set all of that aside and word of God, speak. Uh, Speak to us as your people. Lord, I thank you for the faithful stewardship here at MBT and, and for those who are so faithful to give Lord, I pray that you would bless the, 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 the stewardship. Uh, we're your people, we're your family, we're your servants. And so Lord, we want the whole of our life, not just uh, a, a, a first dime out of every dollar, we want the whole of our life, how we serve. Lord, how we invest our lives to fall out to your glory. And so God, bless us, bless the resources to further the kingdom to see souls saved, disciples made, give, the, give those who are responsible for investing those resources wisdom and discernment uh, to make good decisions that ultimately glorify you. Lord, help us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Genesis chapter eight, we're gonna see worship in a new world. Uh, the, the flood waters have receded and, and let's pick it up in verse 14. In the second month, on the seventh or on the seven and 20th day of the month was the earth dried. And God spake unto Noah saying, go forth of the ark thou and thy wife and thy sons and thy sons' wives with thee. Bring forth with thee every living thing that is with thee of all flesh both of fowl and of cattle and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth that they may breed abundantly in the earth and be fruitful and multiply upon the earth. So again, we're looking at dates in the Bible, so that's your first blank. Pay attention to the dates. Uh, Again, we put the the, the chart there in your notes so that you can see in total, Noah and his family and all the animals, they're on the ark for 377 days. For over a year, they're on this ark. This is the vehicle of salvation through total destruction, through the complete wrath of God over a corrupted genome. We saw this in Genesis chapter six. All flesh, the Bible says, was corrupted before God. God's hitting the reset button on life on planet Earth. Well, there's a way of salvation. There is an ark that God designed. He gives the information to to, uh, Noah and, and, and thank God for the ark, but you're on the ark for 377 days with all those animals, right? So you get used to the smell. 377 days, okay, so praise the Lord for the word of the Lord, get off the ark. Now, go back to verse four. We didn't have time to look at this last week, but since we're looking at the dates, verse four, the Bible says the ark rested in the seventh month on the 17th day of the month, okay, so, so at the end of the 150 days of the flood, the Bible is very clear that, 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 that it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a 150 day time frame that these flood waters prevail. The ark rests in the seventh month on this mountain of Ararat. This day that's being described as Nisan 17, 
Nisan 17 in the Jewish calendar. It's the seventh month, the 17th day. Now, understand whenever you're talking about reckoning Jewish time, you will never fully get your head around it as a Gentile because the day, like literally, this is Sunday, in terms of the Jewish reckoning of time, Sunday started when? Last night at 6 p.m. starts Sunday. The evening and the morning were the first day. So Jewish days are reckoned 6 p.m. to 6 p.m. every day. So there's that. We think in terms of midnight to midnight, don't we? Uh, And really, we don't even think that way. The way we think is it's Sunday. Tonight will be Sunday night. And when we wake up tomorrow, it'll be Monday. Praise the Lord. That's just how we think. But the Jewish calendar, okay, you gotta also recognize there's two different calendars that you have to pay attention to. There's two Jewish calendars. There's the civil calendar that, that begins in the fall with the Jewish month Tishri. Uh, and then there's the religious calendar and that begins here in the month of Nisan. It's also called a, a, a bib in Exodus chapter 12 and 13. You'll see it called a bib different places in the word of God. And it starts in the spring. This will be our March to April time frame. Well, what day does it start on exactly? Well, it depends on what the moon is doing. Because remember, the Jewish calendar, we saw this this calendar that God's using is a moon-based calendar. It's based on the new moon. There are 30-day cycles, 30-day months. So this is on the civil calendar. It's the seventh month, the 17th day. But it's the beginning of the religious calendar. Okay, stay with me. Okay, Exodus chapter 12 tells you that this month, this month of Nisan shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. In terms of your religious observances, Nisan is the beginning of your religious calendar. So again, it's the seventh month in terms of the civil or governmental calendar. Religious month, it's the first one. Is everybody with me so far? Turn to your neighbor and ask him, did you understand that? Do we, need any, do, do we need any tutoring yet in the pews? Okay. So don't miss the picture here. This now is a month of new beginnings. Noah, the ark, stops floating in the flood. It's resting on the Mount of Ararat. This is a new beginnings. Everybody with me so far? Okay, so now, new beginnings. Look, flip your notes over, look at the chart. We need, to, we need to get a big bird's eye view of what God, the picture that God's painting for us here. You need to know that Jesus was crucified on the 14th of Nisan. He lay in the grave for three days, three nights, three days. He lay in the grave and on the third day, up from the grave he arose, which would be the, what day of Nisan? Yeah, four plus, it's the 17th of Nisan. So the resurrection was 17 Nisan. Again, seventh month in the civil calendar, first month in the religious calendar. So get this down in your notes. It just so happens that Noah's new beginning on planet Earth was on the anniversary of, but it was in anticipation of our new beginning in Christ. When did you get eternal life? When did you get eternal life? Well, I don't remember what day it was, but I remember praying that prayer. Okay, okay, yeah, there was a time in your life when you received eternal life, but when did you actually get eternal life? Think Romans chapter six. Are you with me? I mean, what was I? Oh yeah, I was crucified. 
I am crucified with Christ. I'm, I'm buried with Christ. I am what? I am risen with Christ. It's all present tense in Romans 6. I'm crucified. I'm risen with Christ. Why? Because whenever I believe on the finished work of Christ at Calvary, I'm now baptized into Christ, according to Romans 6. I'm, I'm plunged into the life of Christ. You know when I got eternal life? I got eternal life 2,000 years ago. Say, well, you weren't even a gleam in your ancestor's eye yet. Yeah, but I w- that's, where I was, that's where I got eternal life. 2,000 years ago, on the 17th of Nisan. Noah's new beginning is in anticipation of, it's on the anniversary of, our new beginning in Christ. Okay, so, so watch this in the chart. This will give you insight in terms of how God thinks, in terms of the mind of Christ. Uh, Jesus was also crucified on the Passover. Okay, so on the 10th of the month, when it's time to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Passover's coming, um, we're gonna have to sacrifice a lamb on the 14th of Nisan. So on the 10th of the month, they would select a lamb. They'd bring it to the temple and observe it. They would examine it for four days. And if it was found without fault, without blemish, it was ritualistically sacrificed at the time of the evening sacrifice, 3 p.m. on the 14th of Nisan. As a memorial, it was a remembrance of the great Passover in Exodus chapter 12. The, you remember the story God's gonna deliver the children of Israel. Pharaoh is not gonna let them go, not by any stretch of the imagination. He's determined, he is stiff-necked, he's not letting his resource of the slavery of Israel go. And so, man, it's the the final countdown. The death angel's coming. So what'd they have to do? They had to sacrifice a lamb. The blood of that lamb was put on the sides and over the door of every home, every believing home. The children of Israel coat that, when the death angel comes and sees that blood covering that household, he would pass over them and for every place that the blood was not shown, the blood was not seen, uh, the death of the firstborn would ensue. Uh, It's the blood of the Passover lamb in memorial of what God did in Exodus chapter 12. Now whenever the children of Israel in every year keeping this memorial, keeping this Passover uh, from year to year, there were many traditional things that they would do such as singing of Psalms 113 to 118. It's called the Hallel. Uh, They would sing the Hallel as they would prepare for the Passover. So what's pictured here? Okay, 14th is the Passover, so four days before we pick a lamb, we make sure it's perfect, it's without blemish, it will satisfy to be this perfect lamb that can be sacrificed to remember God's deliverance of his people. So what's being pictured here? Think now very big picture about the lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world. What happened? four days before Christ's sacrifice. Remember whenever we were looking in Genesis chapter one and we saw the principle of the millennial day. In 2 Peter chapter three and verse eight, God's word tells us not to be ignorant. I mean, who wants to go through life being ignorant? So we need to know one thing, that a day with the Lord is as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day. That's how time works with God. A day is as a thousand years and a thousand years of the day. And you can't be ignorant of that. And as we were going through creation week, we saw all these incredible millennial day pictures. Remember that? 
If you don't remember that, it's all archived conveniently for you at mbtkc.org. You can go to the sermon page and you can, you can find those messages. Okay, so there's, God operates in terms of millennial days. If we're gonna understand prophecy, if we're gonna understand what's actually happening, how God's dealing with humanity unfolds, there's this incredible picture, incredible picture. Six days shalt thou labor. Six days of labor is followed by a day of rest. And what do we have? Well, I'll tell you what we have. I mean, if you follow Usher's chronology, we've got Adam created, he's formed, he's made, right? He's created how many days ago in terms of millennial days? Well, Usher puts him, he did all the math, he ran all the numbers through the Bible, and, and, and sure enough, uh, people have examined closely his work. Adam was formed, made, created six days ago. 4004 BC, and you remember what happened? He's made actually on the sixth day of this creation, this restoration week, and you just fast forward just a little bit, you're in Genesis chapter three, Adam and Eve take the forbidden fruits, they eat, their eyes are opened, they now know good and evil, they know they're naked in sin before God, they're hiding themselves in the garden, God God hunts them down and deals with them and and there's this sacrifice, there's this clothing. But you remember there in Genesis chapter three and verse 15, we saw the very first prophecy in scripture and it's the prophecy of the skull crusher, right? Uh, You're gonna bruise this woman's seed, you're gonna bruise his heel, but he's gonna bash your, I mean, he's taking your life, right? He will crush your head. So the skull crusher is gonna be born of Eden, and so we saw, what was Satan's response to that? It was immediate. He starts attacking the seed of the woman, and we saw that principle. Satan's always after the seed. It's the seed of the woman, it's the seed of humanity. Why, because he doesn't want a skull crusher coming out of humanity, destroying him. He attacks the seed of God's word. Today we live in a world where people can't really know what God said. There's confusion around the word of God. I'm so grateful to know that I have the certainty of the words of truth in this book. Satan's always attacking the seed. You remember the parable of the sower and the seed? Jesus said it plainly. The word of God is the seed, right? The seed is the word of God. So Satan attacks the seed of the woman. This is why we saw what we saw in Genesis chapter six. All flesh, the Bible says, by Genesis chapter six, was corrupted before God. So he's, he's hitting the reset button on the human genome. Uh, why, because, you know, Satan attacked the seed of the woman. So he's creating these celestial, angelic human hybrids, these half-breeds, these half-bloods, these Nephilim, these giants that then function to turn man's heart only evil continually. Satan's attacking the seed of the woman. Okay, so that prophecy, when was, oh yeah, that was 4,000 years ago, wasn't it? How many days before Christ's sacrifice was the Lamb of God selected? 4,004 BC, BC's before Christ. Christ shows up, that's our zero hour. Right? He's crucified anywhere from 28, 29 on the low end to 32, 33 AD, 34 is the highest estimates you'll see. So at the beginning of that, um, that next millennial day is where we'll see the, the, the crucifixion of Christ. But it's four days, roughly, right? Give or take a few seconds in terms of the millennial day layout of how God deals with humanity. 
Christ as the Lamb of God was selected in Genesis 3.15. Do you see that? Four days before Passover, 4,000 years before Passover, Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, was selected to be crucified, to be sacrificed. Is everybody with me? Okay, now let's just drill in. Okay, you know, God thinks practically. He, he thinks like a hologram. It's just the, 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 the patterns, the principles in the word of God. It's just the same thing over and over and over and over again so that we can kind of pick up on it. <laughs> We're slow, so we need this. We need the, the word of God to be cyclical, to keep repeating. Well, okay, so the Lamb of God shows up on millennial day four. Well, it breaks down into this same pattern again. Four days of observance followed by the crucifixion. In John chapter 12, in verses one and two, we find out that Jesus was at Bethany six days before Passover, and then they make a supper. Okay, well, here's how supper works. Okay, after supper, it's five days before Passover. Because remember, the, the day starts in the evening. So six days before Passover, then they make a supper. After supper, it's five days now, because it's now nighttime. So now we're at five days before Passover. And then it says the next day, again, because the Jews start in the evening, not the morning. So before supper, it's Sunday. There's been a triumphal entry. After supper, it's Monday. Then in verse 12, it's the next day, which is four days before Passover. And what does Jesus do? He's, he's entering into Jerusalem. As he enters into Jerusalem, the people are praising him and they're singing the Hallel over his life. Check out Mark 11, verse nine. And they that went before, they that followed, cried, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. When you look at Psalm 118, verse 26, you find out that they're singing this Hallel all to Jesus Christ. They're proclaiming him as Messiah, but they're also prepping him for crucifixion. They don't know it. They'll figure it out in a, in, in a, in a couple days, right? In a few days, they'll be, they won't be calling him son of David. They won't be crying out Hosanna. Uh, they won't be proclaiming him Messiah or king. They'll be saying crucify him. But in Mark eleven eighteen, we see the Pharisees immediately mark him out to, to destroy him. They select him to die. Check out Mark eleven eighteen. And the scribes and the chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him, how they might destroy Jesus, for they feared him because all the people were astonished at his doctrine. As a matter of fact, they questioned him. Uh, you look at verse 28. They're, they're, they're beginning their examination already. By what authority doest thou these things? And who gave the authority to do what you're doing? Who, who gave you this authority? They're already examining him four days before his crucifixion. And he was found without fault. He was found without blemish. Pilate himself declared it so in Luke 23 and verse 14. He said unto them, you have brought this man unto me as one that perverteth the people. And behold, I, having examined him before you, have found no fault in this man, touching those things whereof ye accuse him. So after four days of examination, they could find no fault in the Lord Jesus Christ. So what happens on Passover day, what happens uh, uh, right before the Passover observance starts? Well, at 3 p.m., Christ dies. And you remember they're in a, they're, they're, they're in a rush, right? Christ is crucified at 9 a.m. Darkness covers the land from 12 to three. You see all this in Mark chapter 14. 
And then they have to, he dies at 3 p.m. Christ dies at 3 p.m. and they have to quickly bury him. They've only got just a little bit of time to get him in the tube because the Passover observance begins. They have to, they have to get him in the grave before sunset. And he lay in the grave for three full days and three full nights. Uh, you know, a, a, lot of, um, a lot of us grew up hearing that Jesus died on Friday. And um, that makes its way into a lot of the Easter observances. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. Okay, so, uh, yeah, so he was in the grave on Friday, but, but we would have said by reckoning our calendar, we would have said, they crucified him and buried, it, buried him Wednesday, Wednesday night, right? That's when they lay him in the grave. He lay in the grave for three full days, three, three full nights and three full days. And after 6 p.m. on Saturday, up from the grave, he arose. Again, this is Sunday, okay? He rose on a Jewish calendar week. He arose on Sunday. Is everybody's brain still with me? Uh, it's all there in the chart. You can check it out. If you find anything that needs to be tweaked, let me know. Um, I have the original document so we can make the adjustments that we need to. But I think this is it. Okay. So three full days, three full nights. People will say, I know the Bible's not true because if Jesus was crucified on Friday and he rose on Sunday, yeah, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, but it's probably, it's said in the morning, so it's not three full days in the grave. And if it's Friday, that means he's in the grave Friday night. And then Saturday night, but there's no Sunday night. And so they'll get all, well, it's because they didn't actually take the time uh, to run through the gospel accounts and find out, oh yeah, it happened just like Jesus said it would, just like Jonah was in the belly of the whale, three full days, three full nights. So also Christ lay in the grave three full nights, three full days. You know, the Passion Week is fulfilled, it ends with Christ's resurrection on Nisan 17. On the exact anniversary of when the ark locks onto Mount Ararat. Jesus got here just in time. There's a sin problem in the world. How's it gonna ever be taken care of? How's it ever gonna be dealt with? Well, man, all of it was mapped out in the mind of God and Jesus showed up at the exact right time to take away the sin of the world. Jesus, when he began his earthly ministry, John proclaimed it, right? He, he proclaimed the end from the beginning in John chapter one, verse 29. The next day John seeth Jesus coming to him, unto him and said, he saith, behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. A lot of people, a lot of God's people, a lot of lost people even, they'll say, I don't know how God could ever deal with the mess I've made of my life. How could he ever forgive or love or how could he ever straighten this out? Look what I have done. Man, the God who can make sure that everything in this world unfolds so that the sacrifice that would satisfy his wrath over our sin would be taken care of on the exact right day it was supposed to go down, come on. He is in the business of making sure everything works out perfectly. Have you ever read your Bible? Do you notice that God makes sure everything comes out right? Your life, no matter the mess you've made of it, that's, man, that is nothing but a thing, chicken wing, to Almighty God. I mean, no big deal. Christ came just in time as the Passover lamb, as the lamb of God to take over the sins of the world. God is bigger than any mess you've ever made. He's bigger than any problem you will ever face. 
And he's gotten here just in time. He's gotten here right on time. Verse 18, let's keep going. And Noah went forth and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. And every beast and every creeping thing and every fowl and whatsoever creepeth upon the earth after their kinds went forth out of the ark. And Noah built an altar unto the Lord and took of every clean beast and of every clean fowl and, burned, burnt, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. So let's look at the building of the altar here in verse 20. It's the first time you see an altar in your Bible. And this altar, notice it's built on a mountain. Right, it's right there. I mean, he just gets off the ark and immediately, everything that's clean, one has to die. <laughs> it's, just, it's, just a, it's, a, it's a slaughter fest. This is why he had extra, now we see it, he had extra clean animals with him on the ark. They came on by sevens. So it's this altar on this mountain where worship is given to God. So the picture here is of the worship and the altar in Mount Zion above, in heaven above. Psalms 48 describes Mount Zion, this mountain. Verse one says, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, the city of our God in the mountain of his holiness, beautiful for situation. The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. And both lost man and Satan himself want to counterfeit this high place. They want, they want this mountain for themselves. Have you ever noticed in the religions of fallen men, we love high places. Uh, one of the, it wasn't the first mission trip, but it was one of the first, one of the early mission trips that I was on. It was right after Cheryl and I had gotten married. Uh, we went to Korea, we were in South Korea, and one of the things that we noticed while we were, we were there for a couple weeks is early in the morning, most of the people would get up, they'd get up very early, four o'clock, five o'clock, six o'clock in the morning, and they'd go up into these high mountains, these go up into these high places. And uh, we went up just to see you know, what it was like and, and, and see what people were doing. And, and so people were exercising, they have to climb up the mountain, so they're getting their steps in. But they're also stopping at these places to meditate and to, and to do their, their, their um, um, well, I guess their katas. You know, they would do these different things in these different places. And some would, would there would be places where little offerings were made and, and little, little pockets and little places of worship. They're up there in these mountains. It's like this, can we get, can we get closer to the gods? Can we get closer to the spirits? Can we get closer to the deities? Man likes to worship in high places. There's an appeal in, in making your way to the heights. All the high places in the word and in the world, it's man climbing by his own effort in order to get close to these high spirits, these deities, these spiritual beings. And the picture here, what we're really seeing on display is the heart of the God of this world. In Isaiah 14, it's revealed. Lucifer gets full of himself and, and the Lord declares it. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the heights above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount, there it is again, of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. 
I want the high place. I want the preeminent place. I want to stand in the place of God as God, showing myself that I am God. Again, this is the, this is the genesis of the spirit of Antichrist is what we're seeing here. Well, fallen men, they think the same way. In your Old Testament, where does, where does, where does Baal worship? Where does the worship of this, this, uh, this, this ox face God take place? It's in the heights, right? It's in the high places. This is very clear in Genesis chapter 11. We'll see this when we get to chapter 11. The whole earth was of one language and of one speech and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar. So it's a plain. No high places in the plain. Well, that's no big deal, no biggie. Um, we'll, just, we'll just enforce some labor. They dwelt there, the Bible says, and they said one to another, go to, let us make a high place. Let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had, brick, uh, they had brick for stone and slime had they for mortar. And they said, go to, let us build us a city and a high place, a tower, whose top may reach unto heaven and let us make us a name. Let's stand in the place of God as God and let's get to heaven without him. Let's go, let's get to the heights on our own terms. There's no mountain, we'll build our own. Let us make us a name. This, by the way, is one of the freakier passages in your Bible. Whatever you do, you don't wanna miss it when we go through Genesis chapter 11. Um, that's some mind-blowing stuff. I'll, I'll, I'll dig out some sci-fi footage for you for Genesis chapter 11. We'll have a lot of fun. Okay, so. We don't wanna be scattered, we wanna make us a name. We don't wanna obey the great commission of Genesis chapter nine, be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. I wanna keep everybody under my thumb right here, and so, you know, I'm not sending you out ever. What I'm gonna do is just make sure you get my name in Christianity today and uh, help me get published. You see, that? it's the wrong mindset, right? It's, it's not God's heart. So, so here's Nimrod the beginning of mystery Babylon religion, he's, he's setting up worship in a high place. Noah, what he's doing here, it is not wrong, it's only reasonable. And what he gets right gets counterfeited in the false religions of this world. Okay, let's pick it up in verse 18. So Noah obeys the word of the Lord. Verse 18 says, and Noah went forth and his sons and his wife and his son, son's wives with them. Every beast, every creeping thing, and every fowl, and whatsoever creepeth upon the earth, after their kinds went forth out of the ark. And Noah built an altar unto the Lord, and took of every clean beast, and of every clean fowl, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor. Uh, meat, grilling. It is one of the best smells on the planet, isn't it? It's just, it's a sweet savor. It's just so good. God loves barbecue. This is how we know that Kansas City is one of the most blessed places on the planet. Why? Because we have world-class barbecue, right? This city smells good. God has to know that. Okay, so I mean, you know, that may be rank heresy. I don't know, but thank God we live in Kansas City. I mean, it's the best of the best. Go any other place on the planet and you're gonna find poor substitutes. It's like, it's like these half-hearted attempts at, well, never mind. We got, a, we got a chapter to finish here. God smells it and he says, good, man. 
He smelled this sweet savor, verse 21, and the Lord, look at the response. The Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. It's all he'll ever have coming is my response of a curse over his sins. I'm, okay, so I'm done with this, right? I'm not gonna do it anymore. Neither will I again smite anymore every living thing. I'll not wipe everything out again as I have done. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. Skip down to point four. Here we see the beginning of seasons. What we know today as the seasons of, uh, of the earth, spring, summer, fall, winter, this starts here in Genesis chapter eight. So we know that the flood has changed the earth's atmosphere. We know that because before the flood there was no rain. The rains came with the flood, the rains continue. There is still flooding, but nothing that wipes out all flesh, okay? Nothing that's comprehensive in terms of a curse or destruction. So God, you know, he smells the barbecue and uh, it does something in his heart. Okay, so let's, 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 let's unpack this very quickly. Noah gets off the ark and he responds with extravagant worship. So point number three, a right response to salvation is worship. And when he offers, right, one of every clean animal is offered up to the Lord and it's a sweet smell to God. And the picture here is that his wrath is now appeased, right? Through this, through this sacrifice, he's saying, no more curse, no more complete destruction. And he keeps this promise, even with the cataclysm of the great tribulation. God makes sure that those days are shortened. Why? Because if those days weren't shortened, no flesh would survive. No flesh would survive the time of great tribulation where God's wrath is poured out on the earth. So God keeps his promise. His wrath is shown as being satisfied, but also on Noah's part, he's witnessing and confessing that God has a holy and righteous claim that has to be acknowledged and met. So the first thing that Noah does is he comes out of the ark and he recognizes that God is first and to him be all the worship, honor, glory, and praise. So he takes one of every clean animal and gives it up to the Lord. Why, because he knows his Bible. In the beginning, God. God has to be first. This is the basis for the sweet savor sacrifices we see in the book of Leviticus. They're, they're given up because God is worthy and it's a sweet smell. It's a sweet savor to the Lord. So Noah offers these clean animals. Now we see why he had to have seven of the clean, or at least one of the reasons, is so that they would be available, they'd be plentiful for sacrifice. But what about you, okay? You've, you've gotten on the ark, so to speak. We saw that the ark, uh, there's several pictures in the ark, but one of them is the ark is a picture. It's a type. It shows us Christ. It's a way of salvation through God's wrath. So once you get into Christ, once you are in him, you're born again, you are now in salvation. You're in God's salvation. And you've been saved from the wrath to come. God's not, I mean the Bible's very clear in 1 Thessalonians chapter five that God's not appointed Christians to wrath. Why, because we're in Christ. The wrath of God does not abide on us. It was satisfied over his sweet savor sacrifice 
2,000 years ago at the cross of Calvary. Is everybody with me so far? Okay, so what's the right response to that of being in the ark, of being delivered through God's wrath? Well, it should be worship. It should be to present yourself a living sacrifice. And that's what Noah is showing. That's what he's teaching us today. Romans 12, one says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. If the creator of heaven and earth, the king of kings and lord of lords, gave everything to purchase you by his blood, it's only reasonable that you would lay down your life a living sacrifice. That's reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Well, I wanna be a living sacrifice. I wanna be a sweet savor to the Lord. What does that look like? Well, 2 Corinthians 2 tells you, verse 14, now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. Man, when the word comes out of your mouth, that's not bad breath, that's good breath. That's like when the word of God's coming out of your mouth, right? God's like, let me stick my nose right there. Making the savor of his knowledge manifest. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. To the one, we're the savor of death unto death and to the other, the savor of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God speak we in Christ. So whenever you proclaim Christ as the Lamb of God, taking away the sin of the world, as the only acceptable sacrifice to deal with man's sin problem, the only, only through the shed blood of Christ can our sin be atoned before a righteous and also a wrathful God. Some people will hear that and it has the savor of death unto death. Why? Because they're not willing to confess their sin. They're not willing to humble themselves and to cry out to God right, to call on Christ as their sin bearer, as their Lord, as their Savior. They won't do that. So the gospel is a message of condemnation. It's the savor of death unto death. But for everyone who believes on it and receives it, well, it's eternal life, isn't it? Man, that, that, that it smells good. And so once I receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, man, I need to know it. I need to live it. It's what should come out of me. See, Christ made peace for us with God by his shed blood on the cross of Calvary. By his offering, we are reconciled to God. And so just as God's righteous judgments are fully met for Noah, and he shows it in the sacrifice, so also for us by the sweet savor of Christ's offering. Check out Ephesians 5, verse two. Verse one says, be therefore followers of God as dear children, and, verse two, walk in love, as God also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor. Christ was a sweet savor to the Lord. And when God saw Christ, this sacrifice, this, he willingly laid down his life, God smelled it and he said, you know what? I'm not gonna destroy Sam Miles. Sam, is in him. I see that. I see Christ, all of Sam's sin, all of his wickedness, the pride, the lying, the lust, the covetousness, all of that. I see that. Christ took it upon himself. My wrath is satisfied. 
His shed blood washed away, washed away. I mean, with, with Christ's death, Sam's sin dies. And I'm not gonna consign him to hell for eternity. Do you see, this? Do you see the pattern? Christ sacrificed is a sweet smelling savor to the Lord. Just like Noah's offering all these, these clean, ceremonial clean animals, the Lord says, you know what? I'm not gonna destroy everything again. That smells good. I see Noah acknowledging my preeminence, my righteous wrath over the wickedness of sin. I see his acknowledgement, and so I'm gonna, I'm gonna reckon some things. No more is the ground cursed. No more will I wipe out all flesh. Things are gonna change. Well, that's what happened at Calvary. God moved me out of the place of destruction, his eternal wrath over my, my life, and into the person and the life of Christ. Why, because Christ presented himself a living sacrifice. It's only reasonable now for me to do the same. I need to present my body a living sacrifice. The problem with living sacrifices is they, they keep climbing off the altar. They just do. I mean, it's not comfortable on the altar. It's not comfortable being a living sacrifice. And they just keep climbing off the altar. And you turn around a few times and you realize, I'm not living for the Lord. I'm living for myself. This is why Paul says, I die daily. Every day I have to rededicate my life to Christ, don't I? Every day I have to reckon his place of preeminence over my life. Lord, thank you for your sacrifice for me. I want to I return the favor. I want my life to be a sweet-smelling savor in your nostrils, Lord. I want what comes out of my life to be pleasing to you. When we preach Christ, it's a sweet savor to God. So get this down in your notes. That being the case, that means success in ministry does not have to do with the results that we can bring to bear. Success in ministry has to do with faithfully preaching Christ. And that's a sweet savor to the Lord. It pleases him. So are you in, are you in? First of all, are you in Christ? Are you born again? And just so, if you're in Christ, if you're born again, are you a living sacrifice? Is what's coming out of your life and out of your mouth, is it a sweet savor to the Lord? Are you, are, are you in the habit every day rededicating your life to Christ every day, presenting yourself a living sacrifice? Um, some of us, you know, we get caught up with everything that's going on in the world and we forget to die daily. Maybe today has to be a day of rededication. I'd like us to bow our heads and humble ourselves and I'd ask that nobody but the worship leader be moving, okay? Not even the altar workers. I want everybody to be praying right now. And if you can resist, you know, like trying to, you know, what happens is we wanna get everything bundled up so that on amen we can flee because, you know, pizza or mashed potatoes and gravy. Can you just say no to your belly God for just a minute and just everybody pray. We want God to have his way right now, amen? Is there anyone here that would say, Pastor, please pray for me? I don't know that I'm saved, okay? Anybody else? I don't know that God's my father. I don't know that I'm born again. I'm not sure I'm going to heaven, yes, sir. Anybody else? Pastor, please pray for me. I don't know that if I died today, I would spend eternity with God in heaven. Would you pray for me? Is there anyone else? Is there anyone that would say, please pray for me? I know I'm saved, but I need to rededicate my life to Christ. I need my life to be a sweet savor. I need to pour out my life an, alt, uh, an offering 
uh, before the Lord. Yes, sir. Anybody else? Please pray for me. I need to rededicate my life to Christ. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yep. Yep. Okay. Anybody else? So, Father, uh, you see our hands. Uh, you see those that, that said, I don't know that I know you. I don't know that I'm born again. I don't know that I'm saved. Lord, I pray that you'd pour out your spirit in conviction. Help them to see that today is the day of salvation and, and that by the name, the person, the finished work of Christ, they can have eternal life. Uh, there's no other name given under heaven whereby men must be saved. Lord, I pray that, that, that today they would leave with peace knowing that they've confessed their sin before you and, and believed on Christ as their sin bearer his finished work at Calvary, to satisfy your wrath over our sin. Lord, I I ask, please, Lord, let today be the day of salvation where they can have new life, be made your child, where you'll be their father, where we'll all be brothers and sisters moving forward. Lord, I ask for that today in Jesus' name. And then for uh, several who are saying today I need to rededicate my life to Christ I need to renew my life as a living sacrifice Lord I pray that you give them the grace today to be away with just be done with the excuses and the reasons for why they can't submit to your word your will over their life and, and that they'd esteem you worthy they'd reckon you worth submission to worth being right with so Lord I I ask that you know, none of us would be able to get away with acknowledging what's wrong without pursuing what's right. We don't wanna just nod our head and agree with your word and then walk away unchanged. Lord, let your word transform us, change us into your image. And God, we ask all of this for your glory and your praise. In Jesus' name, amen.